0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 21st, 2019, edition of Invest Talk. And if you've been watching the news, you know there's a lot to discuss on today's show. So a lot of churning in the markets, right? Yeah, rally for a few weeks, dropped for a few weeks. It's kind of where we've been for the past oh six months or so. Especially if you look at kind of the Russell 2000, broader indexes. It's been a very very choppy market and a very very choppy news cycle over that time frame as well. So a lot of variables variables at play. And you definitely are here for unbiased guidance. So that's what we are here to give you. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me today. I hope you will call me with your investing questions. And when and if you do make that call, you can shape this show to your advantage by helping you, in particular, take that next step towards your own version of financial freedom. Now, we do that each and every weekday on Invest Talk with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, just like we do at KPP Financial. So our anytime line is open right now at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. Now, let me take a few seconds to let you know that if you live anywhere in the East Coast, I know we have a ton of podcast listeners in the New York area. So Steve will be traveling there on November 7th and 8th, just a few weeks away. I know he has a couple of spots open. There's very strong demand, so that's why we added another date for him to meet with people in New York City. These are sit-down consultations. Steve will analyze your portfolio, your personal situation, and help you help explain ways you can improve your path, your journey towards financial freedom. Now you can make reservations through InvestTalk.com. Now my main talking point today concerns the story: home builder confidence has surged to the highest levels in nearly two years. It's so something that I've been talking about for six months plus now. You know, I said rates are dropping. It doesn't look like anything is going to do anything in the near term for the housing market, right? But three months, six months down the line, you eventually get positive news positive news around housing, and that's what you're starting to get. Right, This is something you have to understand with real estate. It is slow moving. You look at the stock market, markets move relatively fast, very liquid. You'll sell stock any minute, pretty much. Not with real estate. It takes three months, six months, nine months. Sorry, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, sometimes much longer to get a home sold. And that's a very illiquid market. And illiquidity means very slow moving. So not a shock that it's taken this long for those lower interest rates to feed into the market. But we're going to talk about that story coming up. Also, foreign stock ownership. Talk a little bit about that, the pros and cons of a portfolio. How much should, how much exposure should you have to foreign markets in your portfolio? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks as well? Also, corporate bonds, corporate bonds in this market can be a good place to be and it can be a terrible place to be. They're not all created equal. Just like the stock market, there are shades of risk and return that you need to understand. So we're gonna talk about the current environment and what that might mean for your asset allocation. And then lastly, we're gonna talk about Social Security benefits if you continue to work into retirement. So those are the things that are on my mind. That's what I wanna talk about today, but ultimately, what's most important is what you want to talk about. 888-99-CHART, 888 4278 is how you get through and ask your question On today's show, now the market was solidly positive today. Really can't say anything else. A lot of it has to do with more optimism around the trade war. Trump says China is signaling trade talks on target for a November deal. Is this, once again, a whole lot of hullabaloo? Or is this something that has staying power? So far, for going on a year and a half now, every headline about a deal has turned into a headline about crumbling of a deal. I, once again, say this is likely the path forward until you come to some sort of pain. Both sides need to feel pain. and I don't think either side has felt enough pain for them to capitulate into a deal that is substantial. To any degree. So to me, this is just more headline fluff. Now let's take a question from our Anytime listener Line at 888.99 chart.
2: Hi, Steve or Justin. I'm Shree from Texas. I'm looking at Occidental Petroleum, ticker symbol OXY, and I saw that it is very low and uh, the P-E ratio is good. I would like to know your thoughts on whether it's a good time to buy. Thank you, and listen on the podcast. All
1: right, looking at Occidental Petroleum, OXY, and she is correct that... The P ratio is low compared to previous earnings, but what about forward earnings? Earnings are expected to be, or they were, five dollars and one cent in two thousand eighteen. This year, it's supposed to go down to two fifty-five, and extra down to dollar sixty-seven. So clearly, they're having trouble maintaining that profitability, and their profitability historically has been all over the place, up and down. They lost a dollar. And one cent in 2016, and then made five dollars and one cent last year. So they swing wildly from profit to loss. Uh, we do agree that it is a cheap. It is cheap based on past earnings, and more importantly, future earnings. Even though they're down, the stock is down from a high of was that? Ninety dollars back in middle of last year. Now we're at $40 a share. Now we are right at long-term support. $40 is very strong long-term support. If it loses that level, I would be out of it. We do own this for some managed accounts, and that is our level that we would say, okay, we've taken enough pain, we're gonna move on. It's not there yet, but we're right there. It's at $40.82, so it's kind of chopped there for a couple weeks now. And it may break or it may not, but if it doesn't, I do think this has some substantial upside. Good risk reward at these levels, right? You have minimal risk, you have to, you keep a tight stop around you know, $40, $39, something like that, and there's some potential upside as well. So our value is in the $60 range, about 50% higher from here. So we like Oxy, but it is high risk. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and no one has ever been able to reliably predict where markets are going to move in the short term, but we all know long term there's going to be volatility, and you need to be prepared for it. And you need to make sure your strategy is appropriate for your goals, your risk tolerance level. Everyone says they can take risks, they define themselves as this type of investor or, or whatever, but then the more volatility hits. And then emotions creep in. So you got to make sure you're ready for those potential market movements. And due to strong demand, Steve has set up a second New York City date for complimentary portfolio review consultations November 7th and 8th. If you want to talk with him in New York or just over the phone, myself or Steve, go to investtalk.com, hit the portfolio review button, and you can request a meeting with myself or Steve over the phone, Skype. FaceTime or in person. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART.
3: This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 99 chart.
1: Now let's take a quick look at some key benchmarks for today. Gold was down a bit to fourteen ninety five a barrel. Still kind of in this consolidation phase overbought just a few months ago, and now we've been trending sideways around this 1500 level for a while now, and it looks healthy to me. It looks like a healthy consolidation. Remember, no tree goes to, grows to the sky, that's the old saying, but no stock goes up faster than the, the, the buyers and sellers can push it that high, right? When you get a surge of prices going up, buyers tend to, at a certain price, they tend to back off, right? But then the market gets used to a certain price, and that's where you get that consolidation. And then that builds energy for the next move, and I think that's kind of where we are with gold. Consolidating, building energy for that next move higher past the levels that we saw back in 2011. I think we will get there in the next two to three years. 10-year treasury and the two-year treasury yields were up today. Interesting. A lot of that probably has to do with optimism around the trade war, expectation that the Fed may not have to ease quite as much in the future if we do come to a trade agreement. Still, don't think that's highly likely, but there's certainly some momentum on the charts, on on the bonds, on treasuries, that yields could... March a little bit higher from here, uh, and that would certainly weigh on the housing sector, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Oil was up at fifty-two dollars a barrel, but still near its recent lows. Regular gasoline is at two sixty-four a barrel, but in California here, four dollars fourteen cents a gallon, and New York two sixty-seven per gallon. We have nine point two eight million barrels in storage, and that's up much more than expected. And it's interesting that you see the national average still remain relatively high. So I do expect that to come down over the next six months or so. Now let's take another caller who took time to leave their question on our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey,
4: Stephen Justin, this is Andrew from Westfield, Indiana. I appreciate all the knowledge you guys put out on the podcast. I have an opportunity to take a lump sum payment from my pension plan from a previous employer. The options they give me are to take the lump sum payment However, this would be subject to a 20% income tax, as well as a 10% excise tax, since I'm only 34. This option seems rather expensive, so I'm considering if I should roll it into an IRA, 401k, or take lifetime monthly annuity payments, which I would then put into a Fidelity account toward a stock or an ETF of some sort. Assuming I live another 50 years or so, I figure the annuity payment option would be a little more money in the long run. So just curious on your thoughts and hoping you could provide some more considerations that I might be missing. Thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to your answer on the podcast.
1: All right, great call, great question. Uh, A lot of people get this opportunity at some point in their lives, especially in today's world, where people move jobs, right? Move jobs up and down uh, all the time, and you have pensions that you need to decide on. And even those who have been working for a long period of time, they're going towards retirement, they need to decide, do you take the lump sum or do you take the annuity payment? And the first answer is if you do take the lump sum, you definitely want to roll that into an IRA. Then you can control the tax consequences of of, of that payout, right? I can't... Tell you in particular which one you should do because I need to see the numbers. What is your option today with the payout going into an IRA versus uh, the payout at, at an annuity? And every situation is different. Now what I will tell you is the majority of the time it makes more sense to roll it into an IRA because you'll get a better return over the long run. Now that's certainly the, the riskier play, the play that is has more variability to it, whereas the annuity is consistent. You know what you're going to get. I would consider the solvency of the business as well. The underlying business, that's important to consider. Um, but if you want to email me the specifics, I can definitely help you with that. But most of the time, it makes sense to roll that into an IRA. This is Invest Talk, streaming live Monday through Friday in the 4 o'clock Pacific Time hour. It's also condensed to a podcast every weekday. You can see that and download it on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart
3: This is InvestTalk. Here's good news for listeners in the New York area. Steve Peasley is making appointments for his in-person and no-cost portfolio review consultations. Steve will be in New York City on Thursday, November 7th and Friday, November 8th. Is your portfolio performing at its full potential? For best times, register now and learn more
1: at InvestTalk.com. Let's go to Brandon in Mill Valley. He's looking at Nuven Connection, or Connecticut, Quality Fund, which sounds like a Muni ETF. Is that correct?
0: Uh, no, no. It's an oil company. Uh, MP, M- oh, it's an oil
1: company. Oh, M Yeah, I'm sorry. MPC, got it. Okay, no worries. Yeah. MPC Marathon Petroleum. Right. Okay. So, hey, you own it? Uh, looking to buy it? I
0: own some, and I notice it's in an uptrend in a down oil market. So I'm wondering, how high should I?
1: What should I be thinking? Well, I do like the chart. It, uh-huh. it was in a downtrend, and it is now broken out above its major resistance around the fifty-nine, sixty-dollar level. Now we're at sixty-four, sixty-seven. So I like. That. I like stocks that were in a downtrend, still have positive earnings, positive dividend, positive cash flow, like Marathon, and now they're in an uptrend. And typically, that has that, that shaken out all of the weak hands, uh, and the strong hands are, are holding the stock. And that can give uh, more power to that, that uptrend. So I like the, the technical backdrop. Of marathon. Now it is up into some longer-term resistance level of the hundred-week moving average around $65 a share. So that's probably the biggest concern. That you know, is it going to have power to get through that? It's probably going to consolidate here for a, a little while. But it does yield about three and a quarter percent. Operating earnings yield of about 13.5%. That's very strong, I like that. And earnings are up 50% year over year, and that looks like it's strengthening, or sorry, revenue's up 50% year over year, although earnings are kind of choppy. uh, But overall, next year earnings are supposed to be $7.28 a share from $4 this year. So choppy earnings, but still very positive, strong uh, free cash flow, and I like that. So. I'm a fan of this name. Uh, I think in the near term, it's a little overbought, but I like that it's coming off a very strong downtrend. It's broken that downtrend to the upside and looks like it could have some staying power, and it's a good value here. So uh, I would be not excited about it in the next couple weeks, maybe a couple months, but I do think it has some staying power over the medium term, so I like it. Thanks for the call, Brandon. Let's go to Chase in Utah. Just wants to talk about oil companies in general.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm sorry if I uh, missed any of the first part of uh, your show. You're talking about uh, oil, but it um, seems like it's kind of a, a trend right now. But I just, uh, I'm just i curious what were your thoughts on some of these smaller upstream companies. It looks like they're just getting absolutely destroyed on the charts. But uh, when you look at some of the numbers and stuff, it Seems like they're still profitable. They're still making money. I know it's all it has to do with you know um, the price per barrel, but um, I'm just kind of wondering what your thoughts. If you're seeing any sort of mispricing or maybe some opportunity,
1: I, it's hard for and me to generalize the space. Ticker. Yeah, ticker symbol would be great.
0: Oh yeah, AXAS. And I know A-X-A-S. you don't buy penny stocks, so but. They still make money, so
1: I'm just curious. Well, yeah, it, it, I, I, I characterize penny stocks as those that don't make money. But yeah, this is uh, Abrax Petroleum. They do look like they make money, but I always I always counter that with what about their cash flow? You can you can manufacture profits using accounting, uh, but if you have negative free cash flow, like this one, negative 21 million last quarter. That's what worries me here, uh, and they have a lot of debt. Uh, you know, So companies that have a ton of debt in $53, billion, $53 million market cap and $242 million in enterprise value, so they have close to $200 million in net debt and negative cash flow, that's what worries me. So I would be looking for more companies with lower debt profile, stronger cash flow, if they can still maintain positive cash flow in this environment where oil's hanging around this $40 to $50 barrel area, then that's a solid business. That has some staying power. But to try to gamble on, quote unquote, a penny stock that has a lot of debt, typically penny stocks with a lot of debt are simply just, on their way to bankruptcy. And that's what I see with this type of name. So there are opportunities out there, you just have to be very selective, and like I said, avoid companies with a lot of debt, and make sure that they're still operating with positive cash flow, like the last caller, MPC. They have positive cash flow, very profitable, strong dividend. You might think that it is expensive, but guess what, Marathon is a million times cheaper than this company, Abraxis when they're likely going to go bankrupt so i would stay away from those type of names go after more companies like marathon thanks for the call chase now on the next invest stock corporate buybacks are plummeting as companies tighten cash outlays amid global slowdown during full year 2019 sp500 cash spending is expected to drop by six percent the sharpest annual decline since 2009 steve will be covering that story tomorrow as he will host but for now i'm justin klein and i am ready to take your questions at 8899 chart
2: your typical workday can be very busy assignments appointments responsibilities obligations sometimes you start early and end late for that reason alone you may already be looking to the future to a period when your money, your accumulated assets, are working for you and ultimately creating financial freedom. There are many voices suggesting financial planning services, but there's one company, one firm that offers a balanced variety of strategically designed investment plans, one firm that applies decades of experience. To enable a client personalized collaboration. One firm that can show you how to optimize an investment portfolio that fits your lifestyle objectives and risk tolerance limitations. One firm that speaks with a clear, logical and unbiased voice. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com.
3: Is it just another Manic Monday? It's been a wild ride in the market, so strap on your risk belt and pop in your earbuds. This is Invest Talk, and now more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance. Tell your investor friends and neighbors that Justin Klein is on duty and he's taking listener questions
1: now. 888 99 Chart. 888 8-8- 99 Chart. 888 chart 888 4278 We have about 20 minutes or so left in the show, so get your call in sooner rather than later. And our main talking point today is about the U.S. Home Builder Index, and that came out. Confidence in the single-family home market jumped three points in the month of October to 71, and that's the highest level since February of last year. And up from 68 in October of last year. So you're seeing positive year-on-year growth. And that's what's big. What what does it look like? Not just today, but is it accelerating based on the same levels last year? That goes for any metric that you're looking at. From corporations to uh, the economy. In this case, you want to look at year-over-year growth. So anything above 50 is considered positive sentiment, and at 71, obviously, that's very positive. And there's three components. Current sales conditions, that rose three points to 78. Sales expectations over the next six months, that jumped to six points to 76. And buyer traffic rose four points to 54. So you see, the weakness comes from that buyer traffic area. Still positive, still above 50, but that's dragging everything down, and I think that is probably the most important one, right? Expectations are just simply what CEOs believe. Current sales conditions matter. They matter today, they probably matter second most, and that's the strongest. So there's clearly demand, but buyer traffic hasn't ticked up too dramatically. So even with this drop in mortgage rates pretty dramatically over the last year, You're certainly seeing an uptick, and that's why you've seen this positive sentiment and positive momentum out of the housing index, housing stocks. ITB is now at its level since February of last year. So you're seeing a double top in that. And it just goes to show you that these lower interest rates are very, very important to the housing market overall, housing stocks overall. And the indexes, and ho- housing, is a big part of our economy in today's world. Now, builders continue to point to higher costs for land, labor, materials, or regulatory compliance around lending, etc. Building, but they're mainly focused on the move-up and luxury markets. Just shows you the dichotomy of the wealth gap in this country where these home builders, they see where profits are easier to obtain, and that is in the move-up and luxury markets. Now, housing supply overall remains very low. It has been for a while, but it's most dire in the entry-level space. So builders aren't doing much to really boost that inventory in that part of the market, and a lot of that has to do with it's harder to get a loan if you don't Make a ton of money. They're neglected in a lot of ways. And so the housing market has certainly been fairly strong over the past six months because of lower interest rates. However, there still remains a gulf in the lower part of the market and a lack of supply. Now, our anytime listener line, its eight eight ninety nine 888-99-CHART. It's the investor's friend. So get your questions in and we'll get you answers. Here's a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART.
4: Hi, uh, hey, Stephen, Justin, Ben here from New York. I have a question.
1: I have a position
4: with Target, TGT, and a position with Walmart, WMT. I'm up in Target 19%. I'm up with Walmart 23%. But I just realized that um, you know, they're somewhat redundant. And taking your advice, you know, I don't want to have too much in one sector. So at any rate, I want to get well, – I think maybe it would be best to – get rid of one, not to own both Target and Walmart. So um, getting the technical opinion, I'm wondering which of those you would sell or which you would retain. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.
1: Thanks for the call. Ask about Target and Walmart, the two largest retailers in the United States, brick and mortar retailers in the United States. And Target has had a recent surge. And there's two ways of looking at this argument. Both are well managed businesses, and I think they're undervalued overall compared to like an Amazon. So, from if I was going to put on like a pair trade, I would short Amazon and I would buy companies like Amazon or Walmart and Target. Now, both could go down, but in a pair trade, companies like, you know, coming like to Amazon would have more volatility to the downside. You'd earn it. dividends with Target and Walmart and I, would li- I like them better as a value and long term. Now pitting the two against each other, you come to two different arguments or two different points of view. Walmart has spent a lot on building out its online competitiveness with the likes of Amazon. right? They're working on two day shipping, one day shipping. Uh, they bought Jet.com they're making a lot of investments to improve that side of their business. And that is one of the reasons why you see Walmart actually being valued higher. It's trading at a premium to Target. Okay. So if you look at things like operating earnings yield, operating earnings yield, you're seeing Target at 7.38, Walmart at 6.21. So what that means is Target is trading cheaper than a Walmart than Walmart. And this recent surge in Target is catching up to that valuation. But the big question is Target really investing in their business like Walmart is long term. So near term, I actually think Target will continue its catch up in valuation and get to where Walmart is. But long term, I like Walmart's strategy to invest in their online sales, and online platform to compete with the likes of Amazon. So in summary, near term, I like Target. Long term, I like Walmart better. Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at Cisco.
0: Yes, I, was, uh, I have a position in Cisco I bought back in
4: February. I was in the green, and then when it took that dive in August, I'm now in the red. But this is in my IRA, so it's sort of a long-term investment. Uh, It's got about 3% dividend, and I noticed the only thing I can see is they they cut the percentage of dividend increase from what it was this last time from what it was previously. Is that the reason it took a dive, or what's uh, what's going on with Cisco?
1: No, the reason it took a dive is because growth is slowing, and expectations for growth are slowing, and that's why it's hurting. Uh, It's a very cyclical uh, name. It makes switches, routers, networking equipment. For the in, in the tech space, right? It's, it's one of the largest networking companies in the world, two hundred billion dollar market cap, very little debt. I like that. Return in equity very high, so it's a very strong, solid business. That if you're talking about long term, you know, I like it. Positive free cash flow. Their their increase in their dividend is was good, and it's it's it might have been lower than previous, but they still continue to, to increase it and they have the capacity to do it because of lack of debt, because their payout ratio is only 51%, their cash dividend pay ratio is only 40%. That's relatively low. So I like the long-term staying power of Cisco and its business, but I do think there is some cyclical downside to this type of, of name. Just look at what happened back in 2007, 2009. This stock went from 34 all the way down to 14. So it can be very volatile. Its business is very cyclical. right? It's a B2C type of company. and Sorry, B2B type of company. And when companies kind of pull back the reins on spending, Cisco gets hurt in that manner. So I do think there's some near-term downside and some cyclical headwinds. But if you're talking about, oh, should I keep it for the next 10 to 15 years? I still like Cisco for that time period. Thanks for the call, James. I'm Justin Klein, you're listening to Invest Talk, And obviously you understand the importance of unbiased guidance and experienced market analysis. That's why you are here. So I encourage you to subscribe to our KPP Premium Newsletter. It comes out every Friday to your email box. You'll get market analysis, portfolio management guidance, stock ideas, as well as personal finance tips as well every single Friday. You can subscribe now at investtalk.com. And I'm ready to take your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart
3: This is Invest Talk. Here's good news for listeners in the New York area. Steve Peasley is making appointments for his in-person and no-cost portfolio review consultations. Steve will be in New York City on Thursday, November 7th and Friday, November 8th. That's right. Due to strong demand, Steve has added a second date in New York. Is your portfolio performing at its full potential? Steve can show you how to get it optimized. For best times, register now and learn more at investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now,
1: 888-99-CHART. 99 chart 88992 4278. Let's talk a little bit about foreign investing. And a lot of investors have bias towards US stocks. And if you take the relative value of assets invested in US listed mutual funds and ETFs, the average US investor allocates about only 24% of their portfolio to foreign stock funds, while 76% goes to US stock funds. This is as of the end of June of this year. However, US stocks represent about 45% of the FTSE Global All Cap Index, whereas US investors allocate about 76% of their portfolio to US stocks. So there's a disproportionate allocation to US companies versus foreign companies. Domestic stocks tend to have less currency risk. That's certainly a consideration. So foreign companies, you have tend to have more volatility there. And that may be why it's more appealing to invest in U.S. companies. And people are more familiar with U.S. companies. They feel more confident in owning these type of names. So there's some I can understand that to some degree. However, not the end-all, be-all. That's only one factor to consider. Now, large U.S. companies do business all over the world. So a lot of people think, well, you are diversified if you own large cap stocks, S&P 500, for example. But that doesn't mean there's sufficient diversification of businesses throughout the world. Now, the S&P 500 has 62% of its revenue coming from the US, whereas the VTI, Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, which tends to have more small-cap names that are more domestically focused, have 65% of revenue coming from the US. The small-cap index as itself has 77% of its revenue coming from the United States. But if you invest in an international stock fund, the Vanguard Total International Stock Fund... Only 15% of revenue comes to the United States, 22% from Europe, 22% from Asia, 4.5% from Canada, emerging markets, 33%. So you can see you'll get pretty broad diversification of your allocation. So just because you invest in large cap names doesn't mean you're sufficiently diversified among businesses throughout the world. Number two. A lot of people think the US is just a great place to do business. And that's certainly true. There's a more favorable regulatory environment. Capital markets are more developed and, and consistent. It's easier to innovate, start new businesses, fire workers when appropriate, you know, to adjust to economic conditions, unlike Europe, for example. But this is reflected in the, in the valuation of the market. That's why U.S. stocks tend to trade at a higher valuation. And then U.S. markets have outperformed since 95 through 2019, through this year, through June. But that doesn't mean they always do. For example, over the 94 to 2019 time period, the U.S. markets lagged 34% of all 30 of 3 year rolling periods. So 3 year time frames. About a third of the time US stocks underperform in a time when US stocks outperformed very strongly and it doesn't mean that it necessarily is going to for the long.
3: On the next Invest Talk, corporate buybacks are plummeting as companies tighten their cash outlays amid global slowing. It could have a big impact on the market. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Randy calling from Minnesota. Love the show. Question, I have purchased FedEx uh, a while ago, so kind of high, probably in the 190s. I purchased some more in the 160s, and now it's down into the 145, 150 area. I'm wondering if I should purchase more, or should I just hold, or should I sell it all?
4: like your thoughts. Thanks.
1: Well, just like any buy and sell decision, you want to understand your time horizon. You're talking short-term, you're talking long-term. Now, clearly, their business is suffering. Recently, two years ago, revenues were up 10% year-over-year, and this last quarter, they're flat. Earnings down 12% year-over-year, whereas a couple years ago, they were up 45% year-over-year. Dividends 1.7%, so not a huge dividend, but they... Looks like they can afford it, but kind of not. If you look at their cash flow, cash flow is negative, negative. Uh, their payout ratio is very high. So I don't think they have a lot of room for upside in upping that dividend. And they have a lot of debt, about $18 billion. Their market cap's $39 billion, so I don't like that. They're in a downtrend, consistent downtrend. And I'm trying to find some great longer-term support here. And I don't see it till about 126 so I would not be buying more until then, and I think it will continue its downtrend as long as the economy weakens as well. So that's my thoughts on FedEx. Eight eight, 8, chart, 8, 8 nine nine chart, 889.92, 4278. Let's talk a little bit about corporate bonds as we're going into the last part of the year. Corporate bond liquidity tends to dry up in the final few months of the year, and that often creates a down draft in the sector as a whole. And even though the Fed has interfered in financial markets recently, right? they're buying treasury bills, basically QE, they're doing an overnight lending facility for the first time since the financial crisis, but that likely is masking kind of broader weakness in the corporate bond space. And Goldman Sachs analysts actually track trading volumes in the U.S. corporate bond sector for each year since 2016, and they see that for the final three months, there's a sharp plunge in act- trading activity into December, and then it typically a strong rebound into January. That means if you're trying to allocate to the corporate bond space, you might want to take advantage of a potential downdraft in the last few months of the year because of liquidity year-end, quarter-end rebalancing and lack of liquidity. People com- companies want to show they have large cash balances going into the next year, their final, you know, into the fourth quarter, uh, you know, as the fourth quarter closes, and that tends to moderate in the first part of the year more money flows into retirement funds and 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 investment vehicles and that also flows into the corporate bond market. So Even though the IMF is pointing to a potential $19 trillion corporate debt mess, it still is an attractive place if you know where to invest, if you're doing the right analysis. High-grade corporate bonds are great places to earn excess returns in this market, but you have to be selective. A lot of the ones that are triple B should not be triple B. They should be downgraded into junk, and they potentially could be and likely will be in the next recession. And actually credit rating firms are starting to pick up on signs of distress and accelerating the number of downgrades. Bank of America Merrill Lynch analysts estimate the net amount of bonds that have received downgrades versus upgrades over the past year stood at $73 billion, sorry, over the past three months, stood at $73 billion versus only $25 billion being upgraded. So clearly the trade tensions, policy uncertainty, Corporate margins being compressed, uh, uh, earnings minor recession starting this quarter, or third quarter, I guess, is happening now, is being reported. But what does that do to lending in the space? So the consumer remains relatively strong, but the corporate sector remains vulnerable. So look for potential buying opportunity near the back half of this quarter. I'm Justin Klein. That completes another InvestLock program. Steve will return tomorrow, and I'll be back on Thursday. Good night.